If you would, go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me to Mark's Gospel. We're continuing on in this, what I like to call the Disciples' Gospel. Because in Mark's Gospel, he, boy, he just really lays it out for us clearly what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, and not only to follow Him, but how we're to be engaged in the sense of making other disciples. And this morning, as we approach chapter 4, we're going to be looking at three of the parables that Mark records, Matthew records the others, and Matthew chapter 13, and Luke records some of them. We're going to be working between Mark chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 13 uh, to talk about what is referred to as the kingdom gospels or the, the kingdom parables, the kingdom of God. If you remember when we looked at Mark chapter 1, we saw in verse, first, in verse 15 that Jesus came preaching the kingdom of God. Preaching the kingdom of God. And this morning as we look at these three and other briefly, the kingdom parables that Matthew lists, I, I want to intro it by saying this, that spiritually speaking, you and I in this room, all of us in this room, we are either in one of two conditions this morning. We are either uh, in the kingdom of God, or part of the kingdom of God, or we are part of the kingdom of darkness. The Bible talks about these different things all through, not only in the kingdom parables that Jesus taught, we refer to these sometimes as saying either you are saved or you are unsaved. Somebody says, saved from what? Saved from the kingdom of darkness, but saved from the penalty of sin. There's, there's no middle ground. There's, there's nowhere in between. You and I are either uh, in Adam, the Bible talks about, or we are in Christ. The Bible talks about that we are either dead in our trespasses and sin, dead, or we are saved and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The Bible speaks of us being either a member of the kingdom of darkness, which is the domain of Satan and this world, and this world is still governed by him. He has authority at this time over the world. It was handed over to him in the Garden of Eden, and he still has it, and we're either a part of that kingdom or we are members of the kingdom of light, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light, the kingdom of the Son of God whom the Father loves, Jesus Christ. There's no middle ground. There is no demilitarized zone where there's neutrality that's called. There's no neutral place that we can just abide, nor there is there a place called purgatory where we hope that somebody prays us out of if we go there after death, right? And the Bible is very clear that you and I are either in one or the other. Very specifically, when we talk about this idea of being born again, or of salvation, however we might refer to it, I'm afraid as I've looked at the Gospels, I see that we've in some sense neglected to speak of or talk enough about the kingdom of God as it relates to us now being in Christ as we've accepted Christ, the kingdom of God. And Jesus makes it very clear and specific that 
once we come to know Him, once we are born again, that we are transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We are brought into the kingdom of God and there's nowhere in, in, the, in the ground. Immediately we are brought into the kingdom of God. The question is, how do we live as though we're part of the kingdom of God when we are living in a world that is governed by the kingdom of darkness? How are we to act as being a part of that new kingdom, the kingdom of God? We have been given a new citizenship, Paul says in Philippians chapter 3. Every kingdom has its citizenship. And when you and I were lost, separated from God in the kingdom of darkness, we were citizens of that kingdom. And now we've been transferred into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God, and now we're citizens there. And Paul says in Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven. We know in our country lately there's been a lot of talk about citizenship, right? But it doesn't bother me much when we talk about citizenship because I recognize that the moment I was saved, while I still have a U.S. passport, I have now become a citizen of the kingdom of God. Peter, when he's writing his letter, he writes to those believers there and he says that believers, you are to live your lives as sojourners or pilgrims in this world. A sojourner or a pilgrim is one who's just kind of passing through. That we recognize and realize that we really don't belong in this kingdom of darkness but we're to live our lives as just passing through. And in that sense, maybe not holding on to this kingdom, but recognize that we've been called to another kingdom. We're part of another kingdom. You see, there's an actual conversion from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. This is what Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about in John chapter 3. When Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and he's wanting to ask him some questions and Jesus says, you must be born again. And what Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about was being born spiritually into the kingdom of God. Remember Nicodemus had the question, how can I be born again? Am I to go back into my mother's womb and, and have a new birth? No, Jesus was talking about a spiritual birth. And in Acts chapter 28, when Paul is there in prison and he's writing those prison letters there in Rome, he knows he's about to die. He begins to write and talk about this kingdom of Christ, this kingdom of God. If you remember in Acts chapter 1 when Jesus, after He had risen from the dead and He's standing there with His disciples, the, the 12 and 120 that are there, and He's about to ascend into heaven and He's talking to them, one of them asked the question of Jesus, Jesus, are you going to usher in the kingdom now? You see, they were looking for an earthly kingdom and He said, no, I'm not going to do it now. And I don't even know when that's going to happen. That's only for the Father to know. And we know that there will be a kingdom established when Jesus returns and He'll literally reign for 1,000 years on earth. But what Jesus encouraged His disciples and what He's encouraging us to this morning in these kingdom parables is though that we are to live this life on kingdom principles. And Jesus encouraged them to that. So, the question again for us this morning is how are we to live in this? Well, i tell you one way we're not to live in it. 
and that is that we don't sit on our blessed assurance just singing in the sweet by and by, right? But there are principles and there are commands, if you will. There are responsibilities that Jesus has given to us if we claim to be a part of the kingdom of God and a disciple of Jesus. These are the ways that we're to live as believers and how we're to relate to this kingdom of God. Mark begins to introduce us to these parables beginning in Mark chapter 4, the 21st verse. You can go ahead and flip into Matthew chapter 13 and put your finger there. We're going to go back and forth a little bit. But this first, um, this first parable that Jesus talks about, He kind of asks a rhetorical question in verse 21. And He asks a question of them and He says this, Is a lamp brought into in, to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? In other words, if you buy a nice lamp at Pier 1... Are you buying that nice lamp at Pier 1 only to shove it under your bed or put it under a basket or cover it with a towel and not use it for its intended purpose and that is to illuminate a dark room? And the answer to that is what? You might buy it for a pretty decoration, right? But its intended purpose is to illuminate a room that is dark. And so he's using that to say, listen, believers, no one takes... A light, Jesus referred to as the light of the world, and in Him was no darkness at all, Paul, uh, John says in John chapter 1. And the message of the gospel that He came to preach, we are to continue to share that message. And He says, that which you have received, the message of the gospel of salvation, the kingdom of God, it is not intended for you to take it and shove it under your bed or put it in a basket, but it's intended to illuminate in a dark world that light which is the person of Jesus Christ. When Jesus is having that same discourse with John, uh, excuse me, with Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Jesus says this to Nicodemus. I find this interesting. Because the purpose of a lamp is to illuminate, to displace darkness. And Jesus says this is the judgment. The light, referring to himself, and the message of the gospel has come into the world. However, People love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. You see, the intended purpose of light, and actually in the physics of light, what physics does, what light does, is it does what? It dispels or displaces darkness. In verse 22 of this parable, Jesus goes on to say this. He says, For nothing is hidden except that which is to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. And the way that we might paraphrase this verse, as Jesus says in verse 22, a better way to understand it would be to say that it is the destiny of truth to be made known. Absolute truth. Its purpose and intent, its destiny, is to be made known. And God has chosen in His sovereignty to use you and I as the body of Christ, as kingdom people, to make this message known. In verses 24 and 25 of this parable, He goes on to say this, And He said to them, Pay attention to what you hear. 
With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. Talking about the message, the Word, verse 25. For the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Put in simple terms, what Jesus is saying is that which you've received, you either use it or lose it. Because if you've been given and you don't use it, he said, that's going to be taken away. But the one who uses it, more will be added to him. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, we are not to sit on our blessed assurance, having our nice little Bible studies and learning and just soak it in for all of ourselves. No, he's given that to us and trusted that to us so that we might share it with others and dispel darkness in the world. I'm encouraged when I hear... Uh, stories through the body uh, of how you are participating in doing this. I talked about this when we did our neighboring series that we have a family in our church that every Christmas they invite Santa to their home and they invite Santa as well as all of their neighbors in the community and all of the people that come to the party they're encouraged to bring a little gift to give it to to other people, the other kids in the neighborhood. But the highlight of it, the big crescendo is when Santa Claus comes and Santa Claus shares the gifts with those kids and he also shares the gospel message. This is the Helms family, and yesterday, as they do every year, they're in their neighborhood, in their community where they are, they bring Santa in, the kids get gifts, but the greatest things, the parents and the kids here, is the reason for the season, to use a cliche, the message of Jesus Christ. Isn't that neat to hear that? I had another family this last week share a story with me, and I asked them to write it up for me so that I can convey it to you. And this is just the body living out, displaying, encouraging others with the message of Christ and engaging with them. This family wanted to remain anonymous, so let me read the letter to you. It's a little lengthy, but hang with me. It's a great, great, great story. I hope it'll encourage you to do the same. As a family, this year at Halloween, we decided to set the uh, or to we decided to follow the lead of the church and reach out to our community, our neighborhood on Halloween. And we set up our fire pit at the bottom edge of our driveway on Halloween night. We had a campfire going, stuff for s'mores, and some camp chairs set out. Our prayer was that maybe some of the families that came by to trick-or-treat wouldn't just take the candy and run, but they might stick around, make some s'mores, and we'd have a chance to get to know them. We had several families stop by, some we knew, but most we didn't. Our very, uh, one very sweet family stopped by just from a few houses down. We've had maybe three conversations with them over the years, but nothing huge. The couple is from a country in Asia, and their English isn't very good. They have young children. The mom started to talk to me about how hard it is to find for her to help uh, help for her six-year-old daughter in her writing and her English grammar because of the language barrier. She asked if my teenage daughter might be able to help her daughter with her homework. My daughter does a little bit of tutoring on the side and said she'd be happy to help. So we exchanged numbers, and I never thought anything would really come of it. But sure enough, a few weeks later, this mom was texting and asking when we could meet. The day we got together at our home, she sat on our couch and proceeded to make small talk. The small talk soon developed into some rather deep conversation, 
And then what came out of her mouth humbled me beyond words. She proceeded to tell us that she's been watching our family for many years because we have always struck her as different than most of the people here. From just being around the neighborhood to watching how diligently my son mows the lawn. I wondered how they got their son to do that. She's decided that she wants her children to be around my children. And she very directly stated that she wants a long-lasting friendship with me. She says she is wanting to have a real connection between our families. So she wants my daughter to tutor her daughter in English once a week. But then she wants our families to spend some time together after just letting the kids play, practice their English, and all of us building a long-term friendship together. She said these things almost verbatim. To say that my daughter and I were amazed is an understatement. I think we probably had to pick our jaws up off the floor at this point. This was no ordinary tutoring gig. She also mentioned her temple that she volunteers with, so we believe that she is probably Buddhist or Hindu. So here's the thing. We are definitely not a perfect family. My kids have messy rooms, forget to do their chores, talk back, get grounded. Does it sound like your family? And they certainly don't have perfect parents. We are just sinners saved by grace, going about our busy daily lives, doing the things God's called us to do each day. But we have been praying for our neighbors. We've been praying for our whole neighborhood for several months. We've been praying that God would help us to not be so blinded by our stuff that we would miss any opportunities to share His love. Sometimes we're focused. Sometimes we're not. We've been reading a book on prayer together lately. One of the biggest takeaways for each of us when we pray for our neighbors has been, quote, the spotlight of God's love begins to shine on those families. And when the light of God comes, inexplicable things happen. The most powerful thing that we can do as Christians is to pray. So we have been praying. But I must admit that we weren't really expecting anything inexplicable. But this is surely inexplicable. For this family who is caught up in a polytheistic cultural religion based on works and tradition to randomly just come and request connection with us is completely out of the blue. This can only be the hand of God opening their eyes, molding their aching longing hearts to be ready for the message of His unconditional love and that Jesus is the one and only way. So we see as a family that this is God's work and not ours. Our job is to love them, just genuinely love them unconditionally. And that we will do. As well, we are praying praying for a true friendship to be built between our families, that our older daughter's tutoring time will produce spiritual fruit in this little girl's life. And we are praying that the question of why we are different, why we are free, will come up in His timing, and that the Holy Spirit will do His work and change this family forever. Please pray for us. Isn't that neat? Amen. Now, see, this is what Jesus is talking about. When he says that 
we're not to take that light that, that we have and just hide it under a bushel. In these parables, turn into Matthew chapter 13, there are a few other parables that, that Jesus displays in Matthew chapter 13 that we want to look at just very briefly, each one of them this morning, and see the difference there and the, the distinction that He draws between the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 33, He talks about this thing called leaven. We might say today that it's yeast, and he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hidden three measures of flour until it was all leaven. Now, I doubt in this congregation many of us make homemade biscuits anymore, right? But yeast or leaven, as we put it with the flour, that's what causes our biscuits to rise. And so, let me put it in terms you might understand. As you have gone and gotten a Pillsbury Doughboy roll of biscuits from the shelf in the cooler section of the grocery store, and you put it in your bag, and on the way home, the thing busts open, and you have dough all over the bag, that's because when it was exposed to air, the leaven or the yeast expanded the flour, and it grew twice as much as it was before. And that's what Jesus is saying. Listen, the kingdom of heaven is like this. That as we communicate, share the gospel, the word of God, that it only takes a little yeast, a little leaven to leaven the whole lump. And it does its job. And the thing we draw from that... Guys, as we are about the kingdom of God, as we share the story of the kingdom of God, as we share the word of God in love and in deed and in word, that it's God's work to cause the leaven to work so that it might produce flour that can be baked. You see, it's not our job to do all of the work. We just simply share that and then we allow the Holy Spirit or trust the Holy Spirit to do that. He says this, in Matthew 13, 44, and very similar to it in 45, that the kingdom of heaven, listen to what he says, the kingdom of heaven is like hidden treasure in a field, which a man found and that he covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. And very similar to it, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. And what Jesus is saying is, listen... The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is so valuable that when a person hears and understands that, they are willing to sell everything so that they might obtain it. And the question for you and I is this, are we willing to forsake everything for the kingdom of God? You remember the story of the rich young ruler that came to Jesus and he asked Jesus, Jesus, what, what do I need to do to inherit the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus said, you need to obey all of the commands. And the young man looked at Jesus and he says, I've obeyed all of the commands. Now, what is there left to do? And Jesus turns to him and says, young man, you need to take all of your possessions, sell them, get the money and give it all away to the poor and then and come and follow me. And you remember the story? The young man went away hanging his head. Why? Because he was not willing to sell all of his possessions and come and follow Jesus. And the command wasn't there that you have to sell everything, but you need to be willing to lay everything down and put the kingdom of God first. 
So the question for us this morning is, are we living that principle of the kingdom of God? As believers, as Christ followers, is the kingdom of God and His purposes preeminent in our life? He calls for nothing less, and He calls us to live that out if we're to be called disciples of His. Amen? He goes on in this same chapter, beginning in verse 24, and he talks about this 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 uh, parable of the wheat and the tares related to the kingdom of God. And he says, the kingdom of God is like this. It's like a farmer who goes out and he sows the wheat seed in the field. And in the night, as he and his workers are sleeping, there is an evil person that comes in. And among the seed of wheat that have been sown in the field, they come in and they scatter seeds from weeds. And, and the wheat as, as well as the weeds begin to grow up together. And then they ask the farmer the question, should we go in and pull out the weeds that are sown among the wheat so that the wheat will flourish? And the farmer says, no, don't try to do that. Because as surely as you go out and start trying to pull the weeds out, you're going to damage the wheat as well. Jesus later explains this parable to His disciples. And He says this, He says, The seed is the Word. And the Son of Man has gone and He spread the Word. And those seed, many of that, brought about good fruit or good wheat. And that is those who receive the gospel message and they become the part of the body of Christ and they're in the church. But He says, The evil man is the devil himself. And he goes among the field, he goes among the church, and he sows within it weed seeds. And the weeds grow up along the wheat. And he said, don't fool with trying to separate the weeds from the wheat. Because if you do, and you begin to pull the weeds, pluck the weeds, you're going to damage the wheat as well. And what Jesus is clearly teaching is that in the kingdom of God, in the body of Christ, in the church, there are some that are sown, that are placed there by the evil one, and they're growing up along the wheat. They may look like wheat, they may smell like wheat, they may act like wheat, but they're really weeds. I don't know of any church that I've ever been familiar with that didn't have some weeds sown among the wheat. Now, it may be the case that certainly the evil one has gone and planted that one in there. But sometimes, there, is, there are weeds growing among the wheat in the body of Christ who are really not members of the kingdom of God. You see, they've just learned to say the right things. They've just learned to look the right way. They've learned to carry the right Bible. They've learned to use the right jargon. But they're as lost as they can be, and they just really don't realize it. There are others at times that come in in the midst of the body of Christ and they have their own motivations, they have their own intentions. And they weave their way in and oftentimes for an insincere motive, maybe to, to gain power to be a big fish in a little pond, right? Maybe to get on this committee or that committee to govern, to try to run it themselves. But Jesus says, hey, your business is not to worry about trying to separate the wheat from the weeds because there is going to be a time... And that time is at the harvest where the Son of Man will do the separating. There's another parable very similar to it, and it's recorded in Mark's Gospel as well, chapter 4. Where he gives a parable of the fisherman that goes out and he casts the net. 
And as he casts the net, he's catching fish. And when they get to the fish to the shore, they realize that in the net, there are some good fish or edible fish, and there are some bad fish, fish that are not edible. In our context, when I was a kid growing up, we loved to eat bass or catfish, but we threw the carp away, right? So you might call the good fish bass and the bad fish carp. It says they separated them. But in both of these parables, Jesus makes it very clear that at the end of the age, at His return, He is going to be the one that does the separating. We are not the ones to try to determine who's in and who's out. Amen? Because the truth is, every one of us act at times as though we're out. If you don't believe me, just ask your wife. <laughs> but notice in both of these parables, Jesus says this. He says, at that time, the weeds will be burned. The bad fish will be thrown away. And both are thrown away into outer darkness where there will be weeping and wailing and the gnashing of teeth. Now, this story that Jesus tells, and in the church, is, is not a good story to share when you're trying to win friends and influence people, right? It's not your feel-good kind of gospel. It's not just come to Jesus and everything will be okay. But the point that Jesus is making in both of these parables, whether we believe it or not, is that He is returning, and when He returns, He is going to judge the world of sin and righteousness. And we all will spend an eternal life the question is, where are we going to spend that? Are we going to spend it in heaven with Him for all of eternity, in a new heaven and a new earth? Or, as Jesus describes, are we going to spend it in eternity separated in hell where there will be weeping and wailing and the gnashing of teeth? Now, how does that apply to us that are kingdom people? It applies to us this way. We need to recognize and realize that what Jesus is teaching in this parable and in other places is a reality and it's going to happen. And so it's incumbent on us that we be kingdom people and be diligent, be, be proactive, take initiative to expend all that we can so that others might come to know Him. That we not spend our time in the sweet by and by and enjoying Things for our own pleasure, but that we recognize there is actually an eternity coming. Secondly, Jesus gives this parable in Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 26. I like to call it the miracle seed parable. If you look at verse 26 of Matthew chapter 4, and he says, The kingdom of God is as if a man scattered seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises day and night, and the seed sprouts and it grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts it to the sickle, but the harvest, because the harvest has come. And what Jesus is saying here is, listen, It's, it's like a seed, the Word of God, the message of the Gospel, the testifying of God's goodness, His grace, His mercy in our lives, all of that. 
that we cannot do a single thing, you and I, produce, to produce the first blade of grass. But it is the Word of God that effectually works in the hearts of men and women to bring about a conviction of sin and a turning to Him. And our responsibility is to share, to sow the seed. If you don't know it already, you can't save a single person. Amen? But we can, as kingdom people, people of the kingdom of God, share the message of the gospel and through deeds and good works, good works that God has foreordained for us to do, and love, genuine love, displaying the grace of God to others, so that when that opportunity is given, we might be able to give them a reason for the hope that we have. God has called us to do that, and then we leave it up to God and let God do it. The question for me is, am I doing that? Question for you is, are you doing that? Are we being faithful as kingdom people as all of these parables display? That we're just simply to share the message of the gospel so that others might come to know Him and they, just as we, by His grace, be brought in to the kingdom of God. In closing this morning... I just want to say a closing prayer, and I want to ask you to reflect on this prayer for yourself. Put yourself in the first person as I pray it for myself. And ask God to work in us what He would desire to work in us so that we might engage as kingdom people. Father, we thank You for... Lord, we thank You first for saving us. God, in recognizing that somewhere in our life, Lord, there was somebody that sowed that seed, the Word of God, in our hearts. And, Lord, You were gracious by the Holy Spirit to draw us to You, to open our eyes so that we might come into a relationship with You. God, help us to be kingdom people. God, that we would be diligent. God, that even our hearts would be pricked. That we'd have a desire to share that with others so they might come to know Christ. And they also be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. God, work in me. Lord, work in us. Father and Lord, help us to depend on You to do that. Lord, there's no manner of method that we can introduce as a, as a program or as a, as a great thing or an exciting thing that we might be able to do, Lord. That's just building a church. That's not building believers. And so, Lord, we pray that You would work in our midst through the body. God, that we had to be engaged in sharing and inviting, Lord, loving people so that they might have a question, what makes you so different? Lord, we love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen.